The subject of our study this morning is a worldly spirit. It's my purpose to discuss things that are not in the book this morning. In fact, I sent the manuscript in sometime back in about the 1st of October, I believe, and I'm not sure what's in the manuscript. But it's a subject that's broad enough to include everything that's in the manuscript and some things that I want to talk about this morning that are not in it. We are tangible, fleshly beings. We live in a world of tangible things. And because we are fleshly, tangible beings, the things of this nature have a tremendous appeal to us. I'm going to ask you a question this morning, and I want you to answer it off the top of your head without taking time to think a great deal about it. Because I think the answer that you would give to this question will help us realize whether or not we may be caught up in the spirit of this world or not. My question is, if you had one wish that you could make this morning and it could be granted to you, what would that wish be? Now, don't take a lot of time to think about that. Just what comes to your mind? You see, the things that we live with and become a part of our being and our character are things that come to the forefront when we ask questions like this. And I think it behooves all of us to look into our own hearts and say, what is it that I desire above everything else? Is it that I'd rather be like my Lord? Is it that I would like to see every soul that's in this world have an opportunity to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ today? Is that what I'd like? Or am I caught up in the atmosphere and the materialistic thinking that characterizes our society? One of the things that concerns me, perhaps more than anything else, is the danger of allowing the philosophy and the spirit and the thinking of the world to unconsciously, perhaps, come to dominate my thinking and my aspirations. And there's a grave danger that we all face. I'd like for us to try to analyze some things this morning that I think that characterize a worldly spirit. First of all, where do we turn to and what do we rely upon for security? 
Do we think and strive to find security in things? Or do we live by the philosophy of life that security is to be found in God and only in God? Do I believe today that the real safe place, the real security, the real refuge of life is in God. And when I have God, let come what will. I can safely say, all is well. Too many of us, I'm afraid, become like the rich man thinking that our security is to be found in things, and that it's in homes and houses and lands and other things that have to do purely with time. In the years that I've studied the Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, I firmly believe that the gravest problem that Men of faith, including those who are God's children, has been the difficulty of convincing themselves that you can count on God. It'll do you good sometimes to read the statements in the Bible where God says, God is faithful. You ever thought about what life would be like if you could just really take that statement and say, I believe that and my life's based upon that, and then look at the promises that are in the Bible? Is that the philosophy that we live by? The people in the world must depend for their security upon things. But the man that believes God and is a servant of the Lord and believes the Bible depends upon God for his security. The safest place in all this world is the security of knowing that underneath are his everlasting arms. And that my life is in the hollow of his hand. To know that the God that made the worlds, the God that gave his son, and Paul said, Shall he not with him give you all things? And the God that determines the issues finally, fully, rightly and completely is the one that holds 
me in his hands. If you want to go to sleep at night, peaceful. Learn that there is security, and there's nowhere else. You can get up, you can have uh, the bank full of money and get up in the morning and it's all gone. But you commit your life to God. And the security that's found in him and go to sleep tonight and when you get up in the morning, that life is just as secure in the morning as it was when you went to sleep at night. I believe that. And we need to remind ourselves over and over again that that's where we must turn to find our security. The worldly spirit finds its security in things and in time. The Christian finds his security in God and knows that there's the place where real security is to be found in nowhere else. But again, closely allied to that, the spirit of the world is one of materialism. And we can understand why the world thinks that way and why the world lives that way. The world determines uh, the station in the statue of people upon the basis of material measure. The kind of house you live in and the kind of car you drive and other such standards of measure. And I'm sure that those of us who know anything about the Bible would say that that's not the real standard of measurement. But we can allow that philosophy of life to, and that spirit to dominate and control our lives without being conscious of it taking place. I have a great fear that in this area that we have accepted the spirit of the world in measuring things. I receive a number of bulletins every week. I don't want to be misunderstood in what I'm going to say. And the fact that I don't want to be misunderstood doesn't mean that I'm not going to be misunderstood. But I'm going to say it understood or misunderstood. I gather from the majority of the bulletins that I receive that the standard of measurement in the church of the Lord is budget, attendance, and buildings. And I don't believe that. That's the way the world measures people. Have we led ourselves to accept the standard of the world and the spirit of the world? That what we want to do is to impress the world by their own standards? I think that it's in this area that 
preachers have come under more pressure than anything that I can think of. Now, I have no uh, defense to make of a preacher that's lazy, that doesn't do his work, that doesn't preach the gospel, that's not interested in trying to save the lost, that doesn't do personal work or whatever may be involved. But it has developed in our day that the way the church measures preachers is that the budget must go up every year, attendance must increase, and uh, buildings must be expanded. I think we need all these things in their place. But we have allowed something to slip in our thinking and allowed the spirit of the world to dominate us whenever we begin to measure the work of a preacher on that standard. And that's wrong. That's the way the world goes about it. God forbid that we had claimed to be God's people and we would measure the preacher upon that basis. Suppose that here's a man and that he preaches the truth humbly, in love, earnestly. And as a result of his preaching, there are people that are ungodly, and they're not going to listen to it. And the attendance goes down, and the budget or the contribution goes down. Shall we, in the name of Christianity, allow the standard of the world to become our measurement and decide that we need to change preachers? Now, I'm not defending somebody that's discourteous, who's making problems. I'm talking about good, godly men who are simply teaching the truth. There are men in difficult areas doing the best they can. And if we measured them by their budgets and by their attendance, they wouldn't be worth thinking about. And there's another thing that I need to say in this connection, and I hope you'll understand it. But if you don't, I'm still going to say it anyway. We get caught up in the bigness of our society, and I have no defense to make of littleness in the kingdom of God. But brethren, we need to remember something. There are churches of the Lord round in small places and in difficult areas that have 75 and 100 and 125 and 200. And they'll never have 2,500 or 5,000. The potential is not there in the first place. And when we overlook churches like these, we are forgetting about some of God's great people. And in many instances, men that have gone into mission fields would have never been there had it not been for small groups of brethren struggling and doing the best they could in places like that. Let's don't lose our perspective and get the idea that we're going to measure the church 
and measure God's people by the spirit of the world. I'm not trying to defend littles, but I am saying that we need to avoid trying to measure people by that standard. And uh, I think elders can get caught up in this spirit, and we need to be careful about it. But then again, that is in the world the spirit of competition. That's what the world lives by. And the free enterprises build upon the competitive spirit conducted in the proper way. I think we've lost uh, sight of it. We have allowed greed to overtake the right competitive spirit. But I want to tell you something. There is no place in God's kingdom for competition. Whenever one congregation begins to compete against another congregation, you may put it down that the spirit of the world has taken over. And whenever preachers have the idea that they have to compete one with another, it's like out in the business world where the executives and others decide that they have to compete with each other for climbing up the ladder of success. God forbid that we will allow the spirit of the world to so enter our hearts and minds and lives that we decide that we're in competition one with another. There's not a faithful preacher of the gospel in all this world that I'm in competition with. God forbid that I should ever be. Ever loyal, faithful preacher I'm cooperating with, and God being my helper, I'll stand by his side, give the last ounce of energy and help and encouragement that's mine to give. We must not allow this spirit of the world to take over and decide that we've got to compete one with another. The only thing that we ought to be competing with is the devil. And every one of us ought to be dedicated to the end of using our energy and our zeal to see that we snatch every soul from his clutches that's within our power. When you're preaching, don't uh, let the uh, thinking come into your mind that you're competing with some other preacher somewhere. If you're needed in a place and there are not but ten souls there, go out there and preach. And don't think that over yonder somebody's preaching for a congregation with 500 and you'd like some way to compete with him and end up up there. And churches don't need to encourage this competitive spirit. There's no place for it. Can you conceive of Paul competing with the Apostle Peter? We must not allow this spirit 
to dominate us. And I know the danger, and I see the evidence of it. But I don't want to have any part of it, nor do I want to do anything to encourage or contribute to it. Then again, the spirit of the world can catch us up in the philosophy of living for pleasure. This world in which we live is pleasure-made. And everywhere you turn and everything you hear is designed to encourage pleasure. One of the things that Paul said in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3 was that a worldly spirit imbibed by religious people would be that they would be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. 